Hey guys, welcome to the Frontline Community Church Podcast. My name is David Dorner, and I am the teaching pastor here at Frontline in Grand Rapids, Michigan, and it is so good to be with you. Our mission in this world is to see zero people unchanged by Jesus. So whether you've been following Jesus for a lifetime or if your journey's just begun, we hope that this message will speak powerfully to your heart, that it will reveal something that God desires to cultivate in your life, and that you'll be drawn to the person of Jesus as a result. We hope these next few moments encourage you, challenge you, and inspire you to be who God has created you to be. We hope you enjoy it. Good morning, Frontline. How are we doing in the room this morning? Pretty good? Good to see you. Good to be with you. If you're watching online, uh, welcome. I think Carol Ann said earlier, if you're at home or if you're on the cottage or if you're on a boat, maybe you're on a boat right now. We're all jealous of you, but we're glad that you are tuned in and joining us. Uh, Happy Independence Day. I figured what a great way uh, to start off than to tell you what just happened to me two days ago. I have a two and a half year old. uh, We went to family farm at home. We needed some stuff uh, from the store like wood chips and stuff like that. So we got the three things that we went in to get. And as we're coming up to the cash register, uh, the cashier grabs this little flag and she looks at my two and a half year old, and she goes, hey, would you like this? And of course, his eyes get all big and says, yes, you know, and, and so he's learning his colors. So I say, Judah, what colors do you see? And so he goes, red, white, blue. And I'm like, yes, like my kid's learning. He's growing. This is awesome. And the cashier looks at him and she goes, do you want to see my tattoo? And I went, how, how do we go from that to that? Like, he's two and a half. I was like, say no, Judah, say no. And he's sitting there, eyes like, yes. And I I start praying harder than I've ever prayed in family farm and home. Like, oh, Lord, please let this be in an appropriate location. And so she's like walking around. I'm like, the pit in my stomach. I'm like, this is the worst story ever. And then she goes, look, it's on the back of my calf. And I was like, oh, thank you. Thank you, Lord. I didn't even look at it. I was like, wow, that was just a weird interaction. But I, I started thinking about this flag, you know, this red, white, and blue. She started Sharon, like, you know, Independence Day is important to her because her grandpa served in the Air Force, who's no longer with us. So she was saying she got a tattoo to just remember him and commemorate. And I, I just started thinking about, you know, a flag, like how, how much symbolism is behind a flag? And so I actually looked it up and there, there's this piece, I mean, I, I'm just going to warn you today, just ahead of time, um, we're going to look at our country maybe through a lens that we haven't looked at in a while. We're going to look at it through a pretty significant biblical lens that, that David, King David, laid out for us a couple thousand years ago. But as I was thinking about our flag and what our flag is supposed to represent or what it's supposed to symbolize, this is what I found. So I looked online. Uh, the first thing is it talks about the stripes. Many of you probably knew this, but the stripes actually speak to or are, exist to re- represent the original 13 Colonies. And so I read this. This is from the Library of Congress in our own country. It says this Many of the colonies that formed the U.S. were settled by men and women who, in the face of European persecution, refused to compromise passionately held religious convictions. From the very beginning, what our flag intended to depict was 13 colonies of people who were facing persecution for their faith because they refused to compromise. A couple other things, stars. The stars represent this, 50 states of the union. You probably knew that already. Here's what I was thinking about, though. Isn't it funny that today what we are more known for in our country is what divides us, not what unites us? 
And, and what's interesting or what's important about this is that's been true since the beginning of our nation, that there have been things that divide or turn or separate us one from another. And it doesn't matter what you're talking about. Division has been at the core and at the beginning of our country forever because it's this thing called sin. So, but before we get too far down there, stars, let's, let's go to the colors now. Red uh, speaks to hardiness and valor. I don't know what hardiness means, okay? I have a master's degree, and I'm like, hardiness? Is it, are we talking about wood? What is it? So I looked it up. Hardiness speaks to endurance, and valor speaks to courage. As I was preparing for today, and I was, as I was thinking about our country as a society, as a people, as a collection of people that makes up our country, here's what I was thinking. I was thinking, you know, endurance and courage are not the two words that come to mind to describe our country as a whole. In fact, the two words that come to mind are the opposite of those. It would be escape or escapism, relief, trying to get away, or fear. Think about the last year. Think about the pandemic. Think about what has driven the bedrock, the bedrock of how we relate as a people. It has not been endurance and it has not been courage. It's been temporary and it's been fear. What I'm trying to get at here is you notice the inconsistency between what this is supposed to represent and the way things actually are. Let's keep going. The white speaks to purity and to innocence. Uh-oh. Does anybody else look at our culture or our society and say, it's so pure? It's so innocent. Like, I, I think that when I look at like a small puppy, right, or a baby, you're like, it's pure, it's innocent. I don't think that when I look at our culture. For this reason, I think our culture celebrates sin and I think our culture destroys the innocent. Again, do you feel the disparity between what is supposed to be and then what is actually is? Then this last one, blue, it speaks to this vigilance, perseverance, and justice. Do you think that describes our culture? Does that describe our people? Does that describe our society? Or is it more like this? Here's what I think, honestly. I think our, cult our cu culture and our country and our society, I think they're drunk on wealth, on entertainment, on independence, on power. And I think we're asleep. I think we're asleep like that feeling after you eat a full Thanksgiving dinner and you stuff your face and you kind of start slipping out of consciousness. You know what I'm talking about? Like, oh, I'm just kind of relaxed. I think that's what our culture is turning into. Do you, do you see the difference here between something that is supposed to represent a set of values and identity and then when you see it actually played out, you go, it's, it's two totally separate things. The problem is our country no longer looks like our flag was meant to depict. And some of us might say it never has. But I don't wanna talk about just our country. I don't wanna just talk about our culture today. I wanna talk about our church. Can the same be true of our American church? 
is who we are consistent with who we are called to be. And I'm gonna be the first one to stand up in front of you and say, I don't think so at all. I believe God wants to do something in us. I think he wants to wake us up. I think he wants to call us back to him. But to do so, what we have to understand is what the flag of Christendom represents of Jesus, of the way of Jesus, the life of Jesus, as we live our lives for him, what we need to know is what is the flag, what is the banner that I am called to represent as my life so that others may see and go, that's what Jesus was all about. What I want to get at today and what I want to cultivate through, through David, through King David, who wrote this thousands of years ago, who's hinting at who we are called to be must be the same as who we actually are as a people. And not as a people of a country, not of a people of some sort of government, not something bound by geography, but something created and bound and run and governed by Jesus. What are we called to be? That's what I want to depict. That's what I want to understand today. So we're going to go. I didn't realize this when I chose this passage, but we're in Psalm chapter 146. So if you're going to take notes, if you want to write something down, there's some important things that you may want to write down today. You may not be a note taker or whatever, but grab your phone, grab your Bible, whatever it is, open up to Psalm chapter 146. I didn't realize what God was going to speak to in this for me and for my heart, but also on today's date in particular. So let's read it together. Psalm 146, verse one, it starts like this. Praise the Lord, praise the Lord, my soul. Here's where David starts. He begins and he says, the depths, the burden, the cry of my very soul is exploding and it's in worship. I just have to praise. I have to give God glory because it's about him. This is all about him. David's gonna bookend this Psalm. It starts with worship and it ends with worship. And so out of his worship, here's what he also says says, he says, I will praise the Lord all of my life. I will sing praise to my God as long as I live. Before David says a word, before he goes anywhere, he is pointing us to Jesus. And he's saying it's all about him. That how we live our lives, how we represent ourselves, what we are known for as the church, God's ecclesia, the gathering of people, what we are known for is Jesus. That's where he begins. But let's keep reading. Verse three, it says this. Do not put your trust in princes, in human beings who cannot save. When their spirit departs, they return to the ground. And on that very day, their plans come to, say it with me, nothing. This is what's so funny or fascinating about this passage is David writes this. David was a prince. David was one of the most powerful men on the face of the earth as he's writing this. He had wealth, he had power, he had influence, he had so much power, influence, everything. And he's saying, I, I was a prince. I was a prince of this world, and I'm going to beg you as one who sat in that seat, who is grounded in the Lord, don't put your trust in me. Absolutely do not put your trust in me. And he chooses the word prince, not king, because there's one king. And every leader, every president, every sultan, every monarch would submits to the lordship of Jesus. So as David is writing this, he's saying, don't be a fool. Don't put your hope in somebody like me. 
I'll lead you astray. I can't save you. I can't provide for you. Put your hope in the king, in the Lord. Put your hope, ground your life on him. Because man's ways, how we lead, how we lead our businesses, how we lead our families, how we lead our churches, if it is of human origin, it will fail. But he's saying there's a king. There's a king. Put your hope in the king who is over all of the earth. Let's keep reading. Verse six, or verse five, it says this. Blessed are those whose help is the God of Jacob. Jacob, this goes back to the roots where God said, I'm gonna do and create something new. So God often, very early on in, in the way of Jesus, even before Jesus, God was known as the, the God or the father of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. So Abraham, Father Abraham, as God spoke and led Abraham, he said, Abraham, I'm inviting you into something new. I'm inviting you on a journey to give your life for me so that through you I will bless you and you will be a blessing to the world. He was establishing a kingdom within kingdoms. He's saying everything submits to this kingdom. So Abraham, I'm going to be your God. You will be my people. Abraham had a son named Isaac. Isaac had a son named Jacob. Jacob's name, God changed to Israel. And that's where we get Israel today. So David is writing this and he's writing to his people, to God's people. And he's saying, blessed are you whose help is the God of Jacob, whose hope is in the Lord their God, because he's the maker of heaven and earth. He was in the beginning. He created it. He's above it. He's over it. He is king. He is it. There's nobody above him. And everything in them, he remains faithful for how long? For how long? Say it like you mean it. Faithful for how long? Forever. Forever. Not as long as it's convenient. Not as long as it feels good. Not until we screw up. It says he he is faithful forever because it's his quality. It's his characteristic. It's who he is. David is writing this. He's saying, blessed are you who submit yourself to the authority of King Jesus because he will remain true and steady and faithful to the end when no one else will. That's, That's the heart of David as he's writing. So it reminds me of this. You know, it says he remains faithful forever. Uh, in Acts chapter 5, Jesus had, had ran the course of his ministry. He was here for three and a half years. He led his disciples. They did crazy things. They did miracles. They healed people. They restored sight to the blind. They fed people. I mean, Jesus did an unbelievable amount of ministry in three and a half years. But then he ascended. Then he left his disciples and he entrusted them with the movement of him of this Jesus way that was begun. And so he leaves it to these guys, many of them teenagers or 20-something-year-olds. And so he leaves them this movement and they start facing opposition and persecution from religious people, from religious leaders who now all of a sudden had something to lose. So they started persecuting the disciples of Jesus and a teacher, a well-known Pharisee who was loved and admired by the people. He spoke up to his religious leaders, to the Sanhedrin, and he says this. Check this out. Acts chapter 5, verse 35. He addressed the Sanhedrin, and he says, Men of Israel, consider carefully what you intend to do to these men, talking about the disciples. He said, Some time ago, Theudas appeared, claiming to be somebody, and about 400 men rallied to him. He was killed. All of his followers were dispersed. 
And it all came to, say it with me, nothing. It was like a firework. Here he is, boom, big display, gone. Then he says, this, 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 this is also what happened. After him, Judas the Galilean appeared in the days of the census and led a band of people in revolt. Go ahead and go to the next one. He too was killed and all his followers were scattered. Therefore, in the present case, I advise you. You might say, I beg of you. I'm pleading with you. Leave these men alone. Leave them alone. Because why? He says, let them go, for if their purpose or activity is of human origin, it will fail. Can I tell you, those words are just as true today as they were when they were spoken by Gamaliel thousands of years ago. That if it is of human origin, it'll fail. It's futile. It'll run out of gas. It'll run out of fuel. It, it will die out. But, let's go back to that verse. <clears throat> but if it is from God, you will not be able to stop these men. You will only find yourselves fighting. Fighting in opposition to God. Because what he does is forever. What he does will not fail. What he does is right. What he does is true. So, so Gamaliel is pleading with his brothers who are also in leadership saying, don't cave to the thinking of the human mind. Step back and watch, is this of God or is this of man? And friends, you're sitting here in the room or you're watching online because it was an act of God that this movement then started spreading and spreading and spreading and spreading and spreading and spread all around the world despite persecution, despite laws, despite whatever. It existed and thrived because it was an act of God. So I love this next part. This is Psalm 146, verse seven. What David is gonna outline is this is what the flag or the banner of following Jesus looks like. He's saying, this is it. If you wanna know what makes a Jesus follower a Jesus follower, it's this. It says this, he upholds the cause of the oppressed and gives food to the hungry. The Lord sets prisoners free. The Lord gives sight to the blind. The Lord lifts up those who are bound down. The Lord loves the righteous. The Lord watches over the foreigner and sustains the fatherless and the widow, but he frustrates the way of the wicked. There's a couple words in here that jump out at me. Just even as I studied, I thought they were so cool. The first one is the second word. It says, he upholds the cause of the oppressed. You know what that means? That literally means as it's translated, he does or he executes or he yields justice for the oppressed. That as God moves, he brings about justice. This next word, free. As it says, as he, the Lord sets prisoners free. The, the actual word is gifts, G-I-F-T-S. He gifts freedom. He gives freedom to addicts. He gives freedom uh, to those that are consumed with fear. 
or anxiety. He gives freedom to those who are consumed by debt or greed. He gives freedom. He gifts it. He sets prisoners free. This next one here. Um, The Lord gives sight to the blind. The Lord opens up the eyes for people so that they might see things that are going on spiritually rather than just humanly. He's saying, this is what it looks like to be a follower of Jesus. When we see a church, this is what we see. When we see a follower of Jesus, this is what we see. We see agents of change and ambassadors of Jesus that live this out. And it's like waving a flag that says, this is who Jesus is. As David is articulating, he's saying, this is what it means. And it reminds me, so Isaiah 61, this is what Jesus literally quoted. When he stepped out, it was like his first public proclamation of who he was as the son of God. He stood in the temple or in the synagogue and he looked and he said to everybody this, Isaiah 61, verse one. He says, the spirit of the sovereign Lord is on me because the Lord has appointed me to proclaim good news to the poor. He has sent me to bind up the brokenhearted, to proclaim freedom for the captives and release from darkness for the prisoners. Do you see the same thread? all throughout the Bible, over and over and over and over and over again. So Jesus opens his ministry and he proclaims this out of the words of the prophet Isaiah, but I wanted to keep reading it for you. So here's what it says, verse two in Isaiah 61. It says, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor and the day of vengeance of our God, to comfort all who mourn and to provide for those who grieve in Zion, to bestow on them a crown of beauty instead of ashes, the oil of joy instead of mourning, and a garment of praise instead of a spirit of despair. Most important part right here. They will be called oaks of righteousness, a planting of the Lord, big line, for the display of his splendor. A.K.A. He is building his church so that to the rest of the world, it's like a waving flag in the wind that points to the goodness of God and his character and what's important to him. And he's chosen us to be that representation. David wrote it. Isaiah prophesied about it. Jesus declared it over and over and over. It's all throughout scripture. If you're walking away with anything today, I want you to walk away with this statement right here. God's desire for his church, not just the building of church, not just the organization of church, not just the American church, for his ecclesia, the gathering of people. God's church has always been people. God's desire for his church, you and me, is that it would represent and display his heart for the world. So what does that look like? If I just outline it, that's fighting for the oppressed. Fighting for them, not with them, not against them, fighting for them. It means this, to feed hungry people who are hungry physically and spiritually. They go together. All the men in the room said, amen. There we go. Anything? Did anybody eat good food last night? I'm just saying. You gotta feed my soul at the same time that you feed my body. I crave both. 
Saying this is, this is who God is. Here's more. He frees prisoners of all kinds. He opens people's eyes to see the kings of the kingdom. He cares for the foreigner, not ignores them. He supports the fatherless. And he relieves the widow. And that last line, I just, I loved it. <laughs> it says he literally turns upside down the way of the enemy. When he thwarts it, God goes, anybody that opposes me, I'm just gonna flip their life upside down because this is, this is me. This is who I am. This is what I care about. And this is the church that I have created as my representation of me. I was preaching at a church last week. Um, their pastor was on a sabbatical. So they had the last Sunday last week. So I was down uh, in Battle Creek just trying to help out, do a favor. And I was there and I was preaching on this passage. And what I said to this church, granted, I've been here twice, right? I've been to that church twice. Uh, I look at all of them and I say, I think our world is bored with the church. I think they're bored. Because the, the Bible that I read in Acts, it talks about all the disciples coming together. It said none of them had need. They were leading people to the Lord by the thousands per day. They were leading, they were proclaiming, they were healing, they were setting free. I mean, they, they were praying like crazy. And God was showing up in huge, mighty, powerful, wonderful ways. This is the type of group and movement that they were a part of, and the world could no longer ignore them. But what about today? What does the world see as it looks at the church today? I wrote this. I, I wanted to share this. I was reading it this morning. This is out of my journal. Um, from December 10th, 2015. I asked myself this question, do I love the church? I don't know if you've ever asked or answered that question for yourself. But for some reason I wrote down, do I love the church? And here was my answer. I said, yes, but I am not satisfied with the way that things are. I said, I fell in love with the church at this passion conference that I had gone to in 2012. But I said, but my dream of what the church could be clashes with the reality of church right now. Do you ever feel that? It kills me. It kills me. Because when you interact with the God of the universe who speaks and moves and delivers and leads and heals and guides, when you converse with him, it changes your life. And then when you look at the institution of church or the American church that's become much more about our culture or much more about our government or much more about our opinions or if we're just being honest, much more about ourselves. It clashes with the reality of what God's created us for. I don't think we can change the American church. I don't, I don't think this group, I don't think watching online, I don't think we can change the American church, but we can absolutely change our church. We, we can change our church to be a representation in our community, in our city, that makes the injustices of the world, the poverty, the brokenness, the pain that our community is experiencing, we can absolutely be the banner of Christ that steps into the most broken and hard situations and says, we will step in because that's what God did for us. 
We may not change our country, but we can absolutely change our community. I think that's what we're called to do. How important is God's heart to you? How important is what God desires to see come to fruition? How important is that to you? Hmm. There's a a ministry here um, at our church that kind of falls under my responsibilities. And so uh, about a year and a half ago, it was February, and uh, we were transitioning leadership. It was our mom's ministry here. And we were transitioning leaders from one set of leaders to the next set of leaders. And so we started this process in like January or February. And then what was so funny is like this little tiny inconvenience called the pandemic hit at the same time. Do you guys remember that in March of last year? So anyway, this pandemic hits and we're transitioning leadership. And this is a group that we really care about, we really love, and we really want to provide for. And both of the leaders that came to me said, we really feel like God has put this on our heart, but we want to be obedient to him. We want to follow him. So the pandemic hits, and what anybody would think, or the human mind, you'd go, this just doesn't make sense. Let's just hit pause. Let's wait till it blows over, sees what happens. Not one of them said, let's do that. They said, this is what God's called us to do. He knew it was coming, so let's step in and let's lean in and let's do what he's created us to do. So that's what they did, and it exploded. Not in a bad way, in a good way. I mean, moms start coming out of the woodwork to be a part of this in this community. And here's why. They were teaching the gospel. They were studying and praying together. They were serving and giving of themselves. And they were specifically supporting the fatherless and the widow, which aligns 100% with the banner that David depicted for us. They start doing this, and the ministry and the influence explodes. And out of this group came one subgroup, and it was specifically for post-abortive moms, moms that have chosen to have an abortion or contemplated having an abortion. We had this group set up as one that you could join. Maybe you even saw it here if you looked into joining groups. Over the last year and a half, we had that group to sign up, and not one person signed up for a year and a half. Two weeks ago, there was an event here that had eight different moms that showed up and they were spoiled. They were loved. They were taught the gospel. They were taught how Jesus sees them. And God continues to work and to move and to cultivate a movement that is changing people's lives for eternity. But I started learning about abortion. Do you want to know something? This is so interesting. 40% of abortions that take place in our country are of churched women. Women that call church home. 40%. And, and, And here's what I learned. The situations that lead to those are so complex that most of us have no idea. Some of them are forced Some of them are manipulated. Some of them fear. Actually, Pew Research did a study and it said the number one thing that most women are afraid of is the judgment of their local church for being pregnant. And it's driving them to abortion. We want to stop that. So I I have this section in here. I I labeled it proclamation. I'm going to proclaim something. And, And it's for you. And it's for our community. Here's the proclamation. It says, if you're pregnant unexpectedly, if you're not ready, if you're unprepared, if you're, if you're nervous, if, you're, if, you're, if that's you, we will celebrate with you the life that God has given you and we will provide for you as a church. Here's another one. If you're oppressed, 
in whatever way, in whatever venue, in, in whatever kind, it doesn't matter what we're talking about. Could be race, could be LGBT, could be uh, financially, what, whatever it is. If you feel oppressed, what I want you to know is that we are here as a community to love you and walk with you and introduce you to the person of Jesus who fights for the oppressed. This is a home. Are we going to do it perfect? Absolutely not. That's when you say, amen. Absolutely not. But we're going to try. We're going to give you every, every part of our hearts that we can offer. How about this? If you're hungry, we'll feed your stomach and your soul. Come. If you're imprisoned, debt, anxiety, depression, fear, maybe it's a law. Maybe you're in jail. We're here for you. We'll walk with you. We'll fight for you. Or spiritually, if you're spiritually in prison, we will introduce you to the Jesus that breaks all other chains. We may not be able to change the American church, but we can absolutely change the church in our community. And God does it through people like you and me. I never wanted to do this. Do you know that? I never wanted to be up here preaching never wanted to be called into ministry, but I felt like God said, this is what I'm calling you to do. And I, I just feel as for some of you in here, maybe this is what you wanted to do. You wanted to be in ministry and God said no. And, and maybe instead he called you in to be a teacher. Maybe he called you to be a single mom. Maybe he called you into business. Maybe he called you into the education system. Maybe he called you into some other form of leadership. Maybe he called you into the medical field. Whatever it is, what I want you to do is seek and obey what God has put on your heart to call you into because you are a representation of him to the context in which you are called. And that's what's gonna change our world. It's when we can be obedient and we can follow and we can say, man, God is for the oppressed and I see someone being oppressed and I'm gonna do something about it. God is for the widow or for the fatherless or for the orphan. I'm gonna step in and I'm gonna do something about it because that's what we're called to be is a representation of Jesus. This last story I wanna close with and we can put up the last verse is verse 10. Um, one of the things Shannon and I felt called to do uh, years ago, maybe three years ago, um, was to become foster parents. And part of it was, uh, <laughs> it was a conscience thing. It's like, okay, if I'm gonna stand up here on stage and say, hey, foster care is important and adoption is important, then I better be one of the first one to get up here and say, I'm willing to do it and step in, right? Fair enough. So I, I did it. That was one of the hardest things we've ever done. And we, we still do, our license is still active, but there was one little boy that we took in and we had, and we were just short-term and we were, we were dumb. We we're dumb parents, dumb parents. We had a 10-month-old and, and they said, hey, we have like an 11-month-old. Are you willing to take them? And Shannon and I look at each other. We're like, this is perfect. Two kids the same age. They're gonna do everything together. They're gonna be best friends. They'll occupy, they'll probably take care of themselves. <laughs> parents in the room, does it work that way? No, it was horrible. It was where they, they conspired against us together. They taught each other things. And we ended up passing him along to this family. She was a single mom. She had never been married, but she said, I feel it. She's a teacher. She said, I feel like God's put this on my heart that I can stand in the gap for kids in our community. So she took in a little girl and she fostered the little girl, which ended up turning into adoption. And she took this little girl as her own. And then we had this little boy and she goes, man, I'm willing to take another one. And the conviction on my heart was significant. 
because there's two parents and two kids and we're waving a white flag saying, surrender, we give in. She's over there by herself saying, I'll take another. And she took him in and she sent me a message probably four months ago and she said, I just wanna thank you because the Lord brought him into my life and his rights have been terminated and now I'm adopting him into our family. That is the gospel. That is what we are called to be. That is the flag that we are called to wave is we are called to step into messy and broken and dysfunctional and difficult situations because that's exactly what Jesus did for us on the cross. He saw us at our worst and he said, you're worth it. So come to me. And as we come to him, he he then sends us back out and says, no, go do that for someone else. Go make a difference. Go make an impact in your community and in your context. Because this, we're going to go back, because the Lord reigns forever, your God, O Zion, for all generations. Praise the Lord. Amanda talked about ways that we can serve together here at our church. Here's three of them. The next one that she just talked about in July, it's family promise. We literally were able to buy a home for someone who doesn't have a home and has kids. And we're gonna create it. We're gonna move it from a house to a home. You could be a part of that. Don't miss an opportunity. In August, we're feeding kids in our community through hand-to-hand. Be a part of that. In September, we're partnering together with a mission down in Haiti because the gospel is not a regional gospel, it's a global gospel. And we're called to be united and one with our brothers and sisters all over the world. And we're called to step in and to be the church. So do it with us. Do it with us. Do it in your context. Following Jesus has a cost. It cost him everything. But if we want to see change, if we want to see revival, if we want to see the church wake up, if we want to see people who are lost become saved and a part of the family, we need to step in and be the representation that Jesus has called us to be. Amen? So let's do it. Let's pray. Father, we come before you and we're just grateful for you. Grateful for Jesus. Thank you for doing this first for us. Lord, it's hard. It's going to cost us, and we know that. I pray that you would wake this church up. I pray that you would stir in the hearts of your people, that you would call us to yourself, that you would show us areas of brokenness in our community that you're calling us specifically to step into. Father, give us grace as we learn how to do it together. Help us to grow. Father, help us more than our country to align with you that people would see the unity among believers and just be infatuated with it. Let us us create ways to care for one another. Father, give us opportunities to sacrifice so that the world might look in and say, who are these people that give to that level for their brother and sister they don't even know? Father, wake our church up. Wake us up. Wake us up. for you and we lay our lives down for you we pray this in Jesus name everybody said together amen